Stem cell science is changing medicine and our understanding of human development. Learn more with the Stem Cell Channel. Visit uctv.tv slash stem cell. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to a reboot and the August installment of the Southern California Stem Cell Consortium. As you can imagine, uh, we've been on a bit of hiatus as has uh, most of the world, particularly with conferences. But uh, thanks to a lot of creativity from uh, the organizers and particularly uh, Jake and Marcy, uh, the idea of rebooting the Southern California Stem Cell Consortium virtually has now become a reality. And we, we thank a lot uh, the, the hard work of UCTV as well, UCSD TV in helping us do that. And actually we've also been joined in this effort by the UCSD Alzheimer's Disease Research Center Neurodegeneration Seminar Series. And uh, also help from Sanford Burnham Prebis and from UCSD. So one of the ideas that we had, and I, I give a lot of credit to Jake and Marcy for this, is the notion that this is a great opportunity to highlight hot papers in the stem cell field. And, and we define that exceedingly broadly. As a hot paper comes out, we can actually go to the investigators to talk to our audience about uh, what the work was, uh, what the thinking was, and where they're going from there. And uh, the first uh, participant in this is going to be Zhang Dangfu from UCSD, who had uh, an exceptionally impactful paper that just came out recently uh, entitled Reversing a Model of Parkinson's Disease with In Situ Converted Nigral Neurons. Uh, clearly going to be perhaps a transformative paper. And given that Dr. Fu is right here on campus, uh, it, it was a no-brainer to have him participate and kick off this, uh, this new version of SoCal Stem Cell Consortium. Uh, I don't want to take too much time away from Dr. Fu, just to say that uh, he really is uh, a homegrown product of which we're exceptionally proud. Um, he did his PhD at Case Western Reserve, then did a postdoc with Tom Maniatis at, at Harvard, and really has been one of the thought leaders in, uh, in RNA biology, particularly non-coding RNAs and RNA binding proteins. And as you'll see, has been uh, taking advantage of his insight into that field to understand development, cell fate switch, and various aspects of disease progression. Um, in his training years, he was a Searle Scholar. He's a fellow of AAAS and uh, worked his way all the way through the ranks at UCSD, starting as an assistant professor and now as a full professor and uh, was co-director of the genes and genome program at the Morse Cancer Center. So this is a, it's a real pleasure 
to introduce both a, a colleague and a friend and a coworker working uh, in a very important field talking about a, a very important recent paper. So, Shangdang. Thank you very much, uh, Evan. Uh, it's indeed a great pleasure to participate in this uh, new series of seminars. And uh, of course, we have to overcome the current uh, problems, but I think none of us are stopping our academic activities. So today, I would like to share with you the, a journey uh, that we have been taken for more than a decade, uh, almost 15 years from now. Uh, to uh, from basic science without any clue uh, how those uh, discoveries or scientific research uh, might be translated someday uh, into a real uh, disease fighting process uh, to a, a discovery that may open a new door for us to understand and and for the treatment of neurological disorders. All right, so this is my title, which is also the title of the paper. Uh, uh, re reversing a model of Parkinson's disease with in situ converted ligand neurons um, from cellular molecular medicine, UCSD School of Medicine. Begin with the big picture stories. This is the quote from an article two years ago, 2018, by Zavan, oh my goodness, how to pronounce the last name, uh, who is the former director of in the Office of Alzheimer Research at the NIH, responsible, responsible for coordinating all AD-related activities. In this article, he, he used the title, 40 Years of Alzheimer's Research Failure, Now What? A decade-long odyssey with little to show. Uh, what he highlighted in this article, aimed for general public, is that 40 years after spend, uh, intensive research and development res uh, effort has most of the time failed to yield any effective intervention for neurological disease, uh, AD included. This failure rate is almost 99.6%. Probably he means one of them has some partial efficacy, which compares with about 20% successful rate for cancer drugs. As we know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, by the way, uh, uh, Richard Nixon declared war against cancer, but 40 years later, now we have a major breakthrough in cancer immunotherapy and many other advances that many cancers become uh, manageable. But now we are facing a uh, 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 bigger challenge in understanding the uh, aging as well as age-related disease. The problem is because of the failure, pharmaceutical company, many of them have stopped their effort in R&D and uh, on AD, and many of them may follow. Uh, thus, uh, the question is that we really need uh, new thinking or breakthrough in these disease areas. So, specific for Parkinson's, there are many clinical features but mainly uh, for most people who are familiar uh, with the Parkinson's, it's difficult to make a move. This is a uh, uh, controlled movement, as well as the loose control for unwanted movement, uh, 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 frequently referred to as a tremor phenotype. So this is a typical Parkinson's disease patient. And uh, we know uh, Parkinson's is one of those diseases uh, 
with relatively more clear uh, costs, which are related largely uh, to so-called uh, the impaired nigra striatum pathway, which is consists of a dopaminergic neuron modulated in the midbrain on top of the brain stem, uh, and then target the axon to a region called uh, striatum, where uh, the neuron uh, released dopamine uh, to trigger the legs uh, neuronal activities, eventually uh, control the motor neuron in thalamus. As you can see at the bottom on the left, uh, the normal brain, you can imagine this L-dopa uh, biogenesis and actions, uh, but in the Parkinson's disease patient, uh, uh, these uh, dopaminergic neurons are dispersed and died and diminished. Uh, there are many ways to uh, uh, to treat neurologic, uh, neurodegenerative disease. The first layer being uh, symptom management. But that one, and this type of approach uh, uh, has been extensively ex uh, applied to Parkinson's disease patients, such as oral take of L-DOPA, deep brain stimulation, so on and so forth. Uh, one of the major ideas is to condition the neuron with neurotrophic factors. Uh, or express or reinforce or boost the uh, production of critical enzyme in those neurons. Uh, uh, a third one would be the uh, block anti uh, disease genes. Uh, many of them has been identified uh, as pioneered by also experts in this campus down Cleveland. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, but however, the problem is that many disease do not. Uh, uh, I mean, genetic components for many of those neurodegenerative disease can only explain about 5%. A large of them are, are sporadic, uh, so-called. Okay, and m most of those diseases are associated with uh, formation of toxic aggregates. So effort has been made to uh, resolve or prevent the formation of such an aggregate. Unfortunately, uh, the approach developed so far showed little clinical benefit, likely because... Uh, it was already too late, probably. Uh, by the time you diagnosis and then all those symptoms developed, uh, maybe too late to intervene uh, with that strategy. And of course, uh, neuronal prevent uh, neuronal deaths, uh, which is uh, uh, also ideal. But the problem is that in neurological, uh, in those neurodegenerative disease, neurons become dysfunctional before death, long before uh, uh, become. Uh, uh, dysfunctional long before death. So the final approach, which is the new hope, uh, uh, which is to uh, replenish and uh, not the neurons uh, to just repair the damaged brain. I, and then this approach is uh, only in, uh, a decade long, uh, which uh, started with actually uh, the new discovery of iPSCs in the other world generate stem cells and they use the stem cell uh, to differentiate into different type of neurons and, and which can be implemented uh, or grafted into the human patient. So this is uh, why we have this stem cell program, uh, which many, many active research has been uh, pursued in these areas. But, but, on, uh, but related to this stem cell idea uh, is called trans-differentiation of lung neuronal cell to neurons. Uh, this is a little bit uh, even younger, owning uh, 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 a few years uh, uh, in, uh, in uh, research, uh, has not been extended to uh, a large animal model yet. 
but the advantage of this trans differentiation strategy uh, has many uh, as we will go along. So with this a general introduction to the disease, disease mechanisms, disease interventions, uh, I'd like to start to share with you how we stumble into this uh, 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 this course of research and discovery. And uh, this is because uh, many years ago, we're talking about uh, dated to 2003. Uh, so that's why we're talking about uh, more than 15 years later. Uh, we will try to uh, optimize a technology in the lab uh, called CLIP, uh, cross-linking immunoprecipitation. Uh, as Evan introduced, I've been working on RNA biology through most of my career. Uh, and then this is one of the key techniques uh, that I have highly useful, uh, developed by Bob Darnell uh, from Rockefeller University. Uh, the, uh, the, the procedure is uh, uh, diagrammed here in this slide that you take your cell or tissues, disperse the cells from the tissues, uh, uh, treat that with UV to induce cross-linking between protein and RNA. And then you can use your uh, uh, antibody against your favorite RNA binding protein to IP or immunoprecipitate uh, uh, your RNA binding protein and, and trim the social RNA down, permit uh, for linker ligation uh, followed by gel isolation uh, and then uh, going through deep sequence, uh, library construction and a deep sequencing. That way, uh, you are able to know uh, where those RNA, specific RNA binding protein bind uh, in order to understand their function in the genome. This this technique is uh, uh, very nice, but difficult to implement. There were many uh, technical glitch. So I managed to convince an incoming student, uh, Yuan Xue, his picture is on the, on, on the top right, uh, to develop this protocol uh, for us to utilize in the lab. Uh, and then we have to, at that time, have to use a robust antibody. So this is a more or less arbitrary selection for this antibody called uh, against the RNA binding protein, PTB. This, this gene uh, was discovered, in fact, by uh, uh, Phil Sharp at MIT. Uh, by, uh, by through uh, cross-linking uh, identification of RNA binding protein that bind uh, to specific sequence uh, important for pre-mRNA splicing. In this case, they used uh, adenal 10 RNA synthesized in vitro, incubated with a nuclear extract and plus minus ATP, and you can see there was a band showed up. And then this band was later uh, categorized to bind to sequence that uh, uh, enriched with uh, uh, pyrimidines. That's why the protein is called pyrimidine pyrimidin track binding proteins. And then later on, it was cloned, categorized that this genes contain uh, four RNA, uh, this protein contains uh, four RNA binding domains uh, contributed to their specific uh, in RNA interactions. And uh, this, pro this, this protein was initially thought to be a splicing factor, and a year later it turns out, uh, proved to be wrong. Uh, uh, they are involved in regulated splicing rather than have a role in the core machinery of the spliceosome. So this antibody is very robust. We therefore choose to uh, 
develop our technology. And quickly we accomplished so, uh, showing that this protein involved in regulated splicing by function as an enhancer or repressor depend on where do they bind. If they bind to the franking constitutive exons, uh, splicing single, uh, they enhance the, uh, the inclusion of this alternative exon in the middle. Otherwise, if you bind it to surrounding this alternative exon, it suppress this exon for inclusion, and there's no such a binding bias uh, in uh, constitutive exons. So that was published. So uh, once we have this information, uh, uh, there are uh, many other programs made in the field. Uh, particularly, we learned that the PDB is not just one protein, it's a member of a family of protein consists of three. One, PDB expressed everywhere except the neurons, and its cousin called MPDB expre only expressed in neurons. And there is a third member which is only expressed in T and B cells, not topic today. As you can see here from the immunostaining, PDB red uh, stain every cell except uh, this uh, neurons uh, are st uh, positively stained with the NUN. This is a hippocampus image, I believe. Uh, and then uh, conversely, PDB co-stain with the GFAP, which is the marker for astrocyte. Uh, uh, and uh, this is the... Uh, 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 section of spinal cord, you can see PDB express uh, uh, everywhere except the neurons, but the neuron is uh, positive stain with PDB, MPDB. So let's PDB, MPDB show uh, show uh, a temporal regulation in gene expression, and PDB uh, in neuroprogenitor cells remain high, just like non neuronal cells, and then upon neural induction, it goes down and remain low. Uh, and then doing this downregulation is transiently induced MPDB stay there for neuronal induction and followed by decline to uh, stay at a relatively lower level uh, uh, in mature neuron. So this is a part of the neurogenesis uh, 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 from the perspective of RNA regulation uh, point of view. Now we understand after we know the genome-wide binding, uh, binding profile, uh, this is the alternative exon uh, found in PDB, MPDB, uh, and then PDB binds uh, to the uh, 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 primary primary tract uh, regions uh, in the front of this alternative exon. So this exon is called exon 10. So in the presence of PDB, then you can suppress this exon, cause this exon to skip, then you run into a premature stop codon, then you, there's no protein produced. Once you deplete the PDB with shRNA, srRNA, whatever it means, uh, and then this exon will be induced, then you full start to produce full length P, uh, uh, PDB2 or MPDB, also called. Okay, and now we understand the mechanism quite well. Uh, and then in order to study the genome-wide function of this MPDB, we have to get rid of uh, PDB. Uh, the problem is that the MPDB is only transiently expressed and then disappeared. So every time we have to do this kind of a treatment and do followed by a biochemical experiment, which is very tedious. So my students get tired of those process and they try to engineer the cell line to stably lock down PDB in order to have a stable expression of MPDB to provide himself for biochemical experiments. He did that. And I ran into a problem right away. Uh, he tried to do that in HeLa cells, and the HeLa cells uh, refused to grow. Uh, 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 
immediately upon you hit the cell with shRNA against PDB. And he has low choice but leave the cells in incubator with hope some cell will grow up, then he has a cell line to work with. And it never happened. And this, uh, uh, but two or three w- weeks later, he found the cell completely changing the morphology. Initially, we thought it's the contamination by microplasma or other things or, or fungus. And, uh, and then later on, people pointed out to us, this looks like a neuronal morphology. And that's how odd, uh, because nobody can uh, even see the uh, HeLa cell has the capacity to become neuronal-like cells. But we thought and this might and this is surprising or set up uh, uh, setback might be a source of uh, interesting phenomena. So we decide to pursue in terms of the mechanism. We test multiple cell type, and turns out every single one we had a hand on by depleting PDB, every single one changed their morphology to neuron-like uh, cells. Okay, this is listed here, and eventually we understand the mechanism why. Uh, a PDB depletion has a, such a potent effect to convert cell into neuronal-like cells, which is due to is another function uh, never known before. Uh, by binding to three prime UTR of genes that either enhance or blocking uh, a microRNA function. In this particular case, in the most case, PDB binding site turns out to be the same size targeted by specific microRNA. Therefore, the RNA binding protein compete. Uh, uh, targeting by uh, this microRNA uh, risk complex and the microRNA uh, complex. Uh, so, so as a result, if you remove PDB, the microRNA will bind better and cause the target RNA to be degraded. Uh, and conversely, it, PDB can also bind a region that prevented the formation of secondary structure. So when you get rid of PDB, uh, this secondary structure formed will prevent the formation uh, uh, targeting by uh, microRNA. So therefore, uh, in the presence of PDB, microRNA can target better. Uh, that way is promoting microRNA. That's uh, representing the minor uh, class of actions. Uh, in the biological context, uh, we understand, so this is a shortcutting into the final uh, 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 model from that paper published in 2013 in Cell. Uh, that uh, th- this is a little bit complex, and let me walk through this. Uh, uh, after that, it will be easier. So, two decades earlier, we know there is a major uh, a suppressor complex called REST that prevented the expression of numerous uh, neuronal-specific genes. Many of them are TF, lineage-specific transcriptional factors. And it turns out one of them uh, is also suppress uh, several major uh, neuronal-specific microRNA. In this particular case, MIR-124. And MIR-124 turns out uh, directly to cause the degradation of multiple components of the REST. SCP-1 is the phosphatase, co-REST is the co-factors, and then these things. And then normally, if, if you turn these things on, uh, uh, MIR-124 will get rid of the REST, uh, reduced rest will further induce the MIR-124, then the whole thing uh, will spinning around eventually cause the derepression of many neuronal-specific genes. But in non-neuronal cells, this loop does not get activated, uh, mainly because the level of mi- microRNA is relatively low, 
and even though it's accidentally induced, it's potently blocked by PDB, so that there is a break there. Okay, what's interesting here is that the PDB itself is the target by the same microRNA. Therefore, when you remove PDB, uh, whatever microRNA can target the rest, rest further induce the microRNA. This microRNA further get rid of PDB and then become more efficient in getting rid of rest. So these two loops get connected to each other. In this loop, in this engine, if you may say, uh, that PDB is almost like a, a, a junk, uh, junk cable. Once you get rid of it, it becomes self-enforced to get rid of more. So that's why you can just induce the depletion and the rest of them will take care uh, itself uh, with using entirely the endogenous cellular programs. So this is the major advantage we explored later for converting neuronal cells, uh, uh, non-neuronal cells to neurons. Okay, so... Uh, once we accomplished that, we realized that most of our study were performed on uh, mouse cells, mouse embryo fibroblasts. Now we want to test on human cells. And then we take, take one of those human cells, uh, very old human cells uh, of, of human fibroblasts, and treat it with PDB under the optimal experimental conditions. And we got almost essential every cell become a neurons in vitro. Surprising to us is that none of those neurons show any activity. They just look like a neuron morphologically. Uh, and later, we, later on, we found this is because in mouse embryo fibroblast, once you get rid of PDB, MPDB will be induced, uh, followed by decline. So the neuron becomes matured. But this is a lot happening in fibroblast uh, in, from humans okay, and other cell types other human cells. And sure enough, we examined the mechanism. Turns out all key transcriptional factors are induced when you deplete PDB except one, brain two, which is a mature neuron-associated apodome uh, uh, factors actually discovered by Jeff Rosenfield, uh, our labor and collaborator and friend. Okay, and if you get rid of PDB and MPDB, this uh, gene get induced. And sure enough, if you do uh, a sequential uh, PDB depletion followed by MPDB depletion, and you get a mature neurons. And you cannot co-deplete them together, a cell will die. So that's why we're talking about this uh, intrinsic uh, neuronal programming that takes its own course and reprogramming in sequential fashions. And, and similarly, uh, you can express, over-express brain tube uh, and in this 3 prime UTR to express uh, SHRNA against PTB, now you can turn this in, in, into a mature neuron that express every possible mature neuron markers we examined that also show many uh, typical neuronal activity like action potentials uh, and, and, the sodium, uh, and, and the sodium and potassium current. Okay, so once we understand this mechanism and be able to uh, turn uh, non-neuronal cell uh, from both mouse or human origin efficiently into neurons. Our next question, uh, oh, this is just summarized to you. Uh, uh, there's a neuronal induction loop, which is controlled by PTB. Uh, and through a break, there's a rest new, uh, micro, uh, microRNA uh, circle. Uh, and then this MPDB turns out to suppress uh, Brain uh, two expression, brain two activated the uh, mirror line. Mirror line then further get rid of MPDB. So that's once this loop is on, 
and then you have a mature neuron. In mouse, these two loops are connected because high abundant microRNA expressed in mouse cells, but humans, you have to sequentially turn them on uh, in, in other cell type. Okay, after we uh, elucidate all the mechanisms, we next wonder, can we do that in the brain? Uh, and in the brain, one of the obvious choice uh, uh, for cells to uh, become a neuron, to turn them into a neuron is atricide. This is because uh, there are major, uh, several major uh, cell types in, in the brain. One of them, of course, are neurons. Uh, others are oligodendrocyte, which form this uh, uh, my myelin sheet to protect the neuron axons. Uh, and NG2 cells, but it's very low abundant microglia, uh, macrophage type of cells in brain, not a part of the nervous uh, uh, neuronal cells. And then that's left to this atrocyte. But the atrocyte is intriguing in several aspects. Uh, a particular one is uh, is a highly abundant cell type, almost equal in number to neurons. So that's um, widely available. And the second is that this, these cells can become quiescent, uh, from quiescent to become a proliferative, especially whenever there is a neuronal damage. So we thought that this would be a, a great advantage we can take for uh, re-engineer atrocyte into neurons. And before we do that, we always go through the mechanisms to see what's look like in those regulatory circles, uh, circuitries uh, in uh, atrocyte. So illustrated here, this is a, a diagram showed earlier in non-neuronal cells, uh, for example, mirror 124, uh, just like in the fibroblast, express no level in uh, mouse atrocyte as well as in human atrocyte, while the neurons are expressed at a higher level. And this is in contrast to the neurons, now the microRNA, this microRNA get induced in, uh, uh, get, get induced. Uh, and then, so this is a brain two uh, levels. Uh, uh, what's interesting, yeah, the high level brain two and the high level uh, 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 mirror nine as well. So in, at, in atrocyte, what we found out is that uh, this uh, mirror, uh, mirror 9 is highly expressed, mirror 124, uh, 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 brain 2 are highly expressed, but the mirror 124 is uh, read, uh, just like a fibroblast. Uh, and then this is the same thing is true in human cells. That means uh, these two loops are distinct. Uh, the first loop in atrocyte are resemble uh, the lung neuronal cells, but the second ones resemble uh, neurons. Uh, and then this is because uh, atrocyte actually share the ancestor with neurons uh, uh, being uh, radioglial cells. So that's why there is a, a related gene signature, uh, but atrocyte a lot uh, neurons. Uh, this indicate that we can just turn uh, on the first uh, 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 the checkpoint uh, and then the exercise should have a potential to become a neurons. And sure enough, by testing these ideas, we get rid of PDB in human adult fibroblasts. You can turn on MPDB, but never going down. That neuron is not mature. And then with exercise from either mouse or human, you induced MPDB and the MPDB is laterally going down by itself and ripping at the lower level, indicating they may become mature. And sure enough, we categorize this is indeed the case. And then this has become so potent and so efficient in our hand. 
Okay, so this is a PDB lockdown, and you can see the high efficiency. You can see recording the activities. So uh, we have done a series of experiments to characterize those in vitro converted neurons. And then next, if we can do everything so well in vitro, we would like to test it in the brain. And this is our targeting vector. We use AAV as a vehicle to deliver our genetic payload. In this case, we have a RAP for lineage tracing and followed by SHRNA against PDB in the three prime UTR. And in the front, we place a expression stop that flanked by LOXP. As a result, these transcription units are completely silent in other cell type. Except if you inject this AAV into a transgenic mice that express Cree recombinants uh, from atrocyte-specific uh, promoter, GFAP promoter. Uh, in that case, this cassette will be deleted, not permitted the expression of RLP for lineage tracing and SHPDB for uh, uh, converting the cell fate, changing the cell fate. Uh, uh, and uh, we have done many experiments to categorize these vectors and show this uh, perform uh, supposed way. And then we found initially uh, most of the cells infected are not NUM positive uh, rather than uh, a GFAP positive. And, uh, most of the cells infected by a virus that express the, the, the red fluorescence protein. But this cell body uh, goes undergoes a progressive uh, conversion into the neuronal uh, feature uh, that stain positive for NUM. In our experiment, we focused on this region called uh, substantial ligra, which is the origin uh, for uh, the birth of a dopaminergic neuron uh, relevant for our later studies. As you can see here, uh, a large fraction, about 30-35% of neurons uh, converted uh, become a dopaminergic a stain positive for DDC, which is the gene important for dopamine transport, transport as well as the tyrosine uh, hydroxylase, which is the important enzyme for uh, dopamine biogenesis. Uh, and then this neuron express uh, 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 very specific sets of channels uh, called HCN channels. Uh, that uh, the early one, we don't see any of those activities, but later on we see those channels. Uh, these channels can be blocked with uh, cesium chloride, uh, characteristic of a dopaminergic neuron. And then this maturation also uh, become evident very clearly with the action potential initially very infrequent and later on become very frequent. And then, the, uh, and then this uh, firing is a typical of endogenous uh, dopaminergic neuron. And we have also many other criteria uh, to believe, to let us to believe that the newly converted cells look like endogenous uh, 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 dopaminergic neurons. Uh, and what's interesting here is that we uh, inject our AAV in the midbrain that can be converted into a TH positive uh, dopaminergic neuron. We did a similar injection in striatum uh, is where a dopaminergic neuron send their exon to to be connected with a GABA allergic neuron. And it turns out the efficiency is very similar, but the most of the cell uh, converted a lot uh, uh, dopaminergic neuron instead, most of them correspond to GABA allergic neuron. And yet again, in cortex, and most of the cell uh, become uh, glutalergic neuron or other type. So this is clearly indicating that uh, uh, a different brain region, uh, exercise in different region, 
have a tendency to become a neuron that related to endogenous neurons in that region. Uh, so-called regional specificity, uh, there was a lot of a mechanism we elucidated. Uh, the one mechanism is the intrinsic mechanism within the uh, astrocyte. This here we are comparing the cortical astrocyte with the midbrain astrocyte. This set of factors, TF, transcriptional factors, are typically expressed in dopaminergic neuron, and they show higher basal level in midbrain astrocyte. And upon PDB treatment, they show much higher level of induction as well. But however, this does not ex fully explain the high percentage of dopaminergic neuron generated in vivo, indicating that the local environment may also made a substantial contribution to this regional specificity. And not only we can see the progressive uh, maturation of dopaminergic neuron in Nigra region uh, in the cell body. Uh, uh, regions, but also we can see their projection of their axon to uh, uh, striatum. In this case, you hardly see any red fibers in three weeks, but gradually you obtain uh, more and more fibers, and eventually uh, uh, to, uh, to a higher level, which will be uh, which as quantified here compared to endogenous ones. And then by lineage, lineage tracing, we further demonstrate that these new neurons somehow get integrated into the endogenous circuitries. Here, we inject a green ritual bead into, into striatum regions, and then two days later, exam this ritual bead uh, in these uh, uh, substantial ligar uh, regions the, in the cell body. As you can see here, there's a, a green bead uh, labeled uh, uh, endogenous uh, dopaminergic neuron. This is all done in wild-type mice, as well as newly reprogrammed uh, neurons. This is done uh, in the, uh, uh, again, in wild-type mice. And then in these nerve terminals, you can also see this red fibers form synapse, as indicated by this pre and post synaptic markers for neurons. Then we, if everything is done so well, then we can we then start to ask questions whether or not we can test the functional benefit of these new neurons converted from astrocyte in the disease model. Here we used uh, this uh, uh, chemical-induced Parkinson's disease model uh, that by using, in which uh, uh, we can use a uh, 6-hydroxyl dopamine, which is the analog of a dopamine uh, that put, uh, specifically get uh, trapped into a dopaminergic neuron that produce a high level of RAS uh, in the end, uh, damage or, or cause the death of a dopaminergic neuron. So this chemical model uh, uh, we need to make it clear this is not a disease uh, per se because uh, it does not show there's a progressive uh, uh, dis dysfunction of a dopaminergic neuron. Uh, rather, it potently uh, acutely uh, kill, uh, kill the, the new dopaminergic neuron, therefore reflecting the end stage of Parkinson's disease, which is the loss of dopaminergic neuron. Uh, and then this is a little bit complex here. Uh, and then so this is a uh, uh, middle brain regions, uh, uh, left side is intact site, and the right side is where we inject these chemicals, which dramatically reduce the, the level uh, of a dopaminergic neuron, uh, TH-positive dopaminergic neuron. 
And in the same time, you see a more atrocide get induced, much more. And after reprogramming, you see many of them become a dopaminergic neuron again. Okay, and then this is uh, uh, on the top of this uh, substantial ligra on uh, in in the uh, in the striatum region where the dopaminergic neurons send their exon to. And you can see in the unleashing site there are a lot of those uh, uh, Th positive green fibers. And then upon uh, addition, you lose those fibers, and then after reprogramming, you restore. As quantified here, restored to the wild-type level of 35% uh, levels. Uh, then we, we can also, uh, we also determine that not only you can uh, integrate it and, and then get connected there, uh, uh, and then restore the lost the dopaminergic neuron, you can also regain uh, this activity-induced dop dopamine release. In this particular experiment, we take live animals and stick an uh, 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 electrode probe into uh, near the substantial ligra regions and, and then record uh, using a, a carbon fiber electrode to record the dopamine release. As you can see here in the intact site, uh, we have a, a normal uh, activity-induced dopamine release, but in the lesion side, uh, uh, the activity is drastically induced, uh, reduced, and then you can f largely restore this one. Uh, and this, uh, you can take these live animals and cut their brain and measure on their brain slice, you get essentially the same results. Uh, and then this is uh, reassuring that everything looks like a wild-type levels. Uh, at the behavior levels, then we can uh, we use the two type of assays. One is a rotation assay. One is a limber touch assay or cylinder assay. As you can see here, uh, this is a, a disease uh, uh, mice that spin in the uh, 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 clockwise fashion. And the same mice after reprogramming, uh, it does not show such a, a, a movement uh, bias anymore. Okay, as quantitatively, as we can see here, this is a bit more complicated. So this is a rotation assay, and then this is the nimble touch assay. You can see here, uh, wild type, there's no bias, uh, and an equal 50-50 use of left and right nimble. Uh, and then the, uh, uh, the addition mice show that this disease-related motor phenotype, and then after reprogramming, this phenotype gradually disappeared uh, uh, reach to the wild type level, and same thing is the case in these behavior assays. The question always raised here is whether or not you induce a new neurons and the new neuron repair the existing circuitries, so on and so forth. There are cascade of events which takes three months to accomplish. And to demonstrate that the whole behavior is actually controlled by our engineered neurons, and we did the following uh, uh, chemical. Uh, genetic studies. In this case, we replaced RLP with an engineered GPCR that can be turned on by a chemical called CNN, CNO. So then you reprogram this uh, atrocyte, that atrocyte will contain this GPCR. Then you can see their phenotypical recovery, but however, which takes two to three months to accomplish. But once you inject this chemical CNO, it will bind and activate this uh, uh, GPCR to cause a hyperpolarization uh, of the cell. As a result, you can diminish the action potential 
uh, in one hour. So basically, you lump up, but the cell is there. And then if you uh, later on, uh, after this drug is metabolized, uh, lyst, uh, in two days, two or three days, and then you are supposed to recover your single uh, uh, the the effect. So that means everything is a reprogram uh, based. So indeed, that's the case. Uh, that if you lesion, you have uh, uh, this uh, uh, biased uh, uh, touch assays, and, and then uh, after reprogram two months, then you restore the phenotype. And then if one hour, if you inject the chemicals, the phenotype appeared again, and after. Uh, is uh, is metabolized. Uh, it retains the phenotype. And if you do not uh, uh, engineer the reprogramming, you basically do not have such a behavior benefit or response. So this is demonstrating that it is the engineered neuron that is doing the job to correct the phenotype. Of course, other uh, neurons may also become more efficient in that process in the quality fashion. So so far, we have been using. Uh, uh, AAV, which is a genetic uh, 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 way of deliver a genetic payload, uh, we just wonder because uh, in our uh, mechanistic understanding, the P uh, PDB is looks like a, a jump cable. Once you start your engine, you don't need it. So we said that this might be a great advantage for using this uh, 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 ASO oligo antisense oligonucleotide pioneered by Dan, our colleague Dan Cleveland uh, and in this particular case, uh, uh, ASO uh, will bind to your RNA. This is a DNA-based uh, large molecular drug. Now, bind your target RNA and then use endogenous RNAs-H to cleave your RNA to cause downregulation. And sure enough, with a PDB-specific ASO, we can turn atricide in vitro into neuron as well as in vivo. And at the benefit level, uh, you can see the correction was PDB ASO, but a lot with the GAP ASO. So this is provide a proof of concept experiment that we may use the long genetic material and through this dosage controllable ASO strategy to turn non neuronal cell into neuron to uh, to replace the lost one in specific disease settings. In, in summary, uh, uh, this paper was uh, uh, published a month, uh, two months ago by now, How Time Flies, that we in which we demonstrate the modulation of a regulatory RNA circuitries enables efficient reprogramming of atricide to functional neuron. Uh, as you can appreciate now, it's purely from a basic science try to understand some uh, uh, regulatory gene expression paradigm that ended up leading us to making new discoveries. And, and then we show a single dose of either uh, AAV or ASO, uh, anti-PDB agent, is able to regenerate dopaminergic neurons uh, to reconstitute the ligrostriatal pathway. So this is very key, uh, reconstitute the lost neuronal circuitries rather than just providing uh, 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 new neurons that secrete dopamine. Uh, and these reprogrammed neurons are able to efficiently reverse a chemical-induced Parkinson's disease phenotype in mice. And in fact, we have been keeping our uh, both lesion, a group of lesion mice as well as a reprogrammed mice for almost lifelong, for two years. And we still see the phenotype recovery, indicating that the new neuron gained lifetime benefit that as healthy as a normal mice. Uh, and because we found... Uh, uh, our approach 
appears to work in multiple different brain regions that generate neurons related to endogenous neuron uh, we feel but have not yet tested that this approach may be broadly uh, applicable to uh, the treatment of a different type of neurological disease uh, neurodegenerative disease so uh, I would uh, this is uh, prepared for your questions but at least out here uh, that I can elaborate more uh, obviously we're a lot of stopping here we need to test our approach on genetic PD models as well as extension to other disease models such as Huntington's and uh, uh, Alzheimer's. And we need to develop a strategy to inactivate uh, existing disease mechanisms. For example, uh, people always are curious, uh, you make a new neuron from the indigenous br uh, in the brain that has already some other defect already. Those defects may make the new neuron less healthy or die quickly. Uh, the question is, uh, can we do both? Not only make a new neurons and make them resistant to the existing disease mechanisms. We do have a lot of idea to do that. And we, uh, everybody knows that the cell reprogramming due to the increasing uh, stiffness of epigenetics in the genome, uh, that cells become more and more difficult to reprogram. Uh, and now we believe we have a strategy to rejuvenize atrocyte before we reprogramming them. And again, this take a full takes a full advantage of atrocyte that can be uh, uh, induced from quiescent to proliferative state. Uh, that will allow us to do that uh, trick. And uh, and of course, uh, before eventual applications, we need to determine uh, uh, the potential side effect, uh, both as a result of atrocyte uh, uh, depletion, although we argue that may not be uh, so bad because atrocyte get a proliferative doubled multiple times, and then we just convert a small fraction of them back to neurons. Or due to the too many neurons generated, or wrong targeting of those new neurons, that may cause problems. Uh, but we can know that only by carefully check the potential side effect, uh, which, by the way, is the same problem also. Uh, there's too many neurons or too much non-specific targeting may be associated with uh, also stem cell derived neurons. And finally, and most importantly, we need to demonstrate the efficacy of our approach in non-human private models uh, before we can embark on clinical trials. And uh, since the publication of a paper, I received a numerous phone call uh, from patients who are so passionate uh, that uh, they are willing to try anything. Uh, and somehow this approach uh, appears to quite appeal to them. Uh, maybe uh, lie in its simplicity just by getting rid of one a single genes. Uh, finally, I acknowledge there's two key guys in the lab. Uh, first, uh, Yan Chao Xue, who is a postdoc, uh, discovered these mechanisms. Uh, and then uh, uh, by the time he was ready to leave the lab, uh, we are lucky to recruit a new one, Hao Chen, who is the first author of the paper. Uh, and he was trained as a hardcore electrophysiologist. Uh, uh, in neuroscience. Uh, so as a result, he single-handed uh, developed the whole paper uh, and that, of course, took him a couple of years to do that. And the paper contains uh, almost like a 200 uh, panel of figures. So it's remarkably productive. Uh, we have uh, one, of, one set of experiments, which is the uh, 
activity induced dopamine release is just completely beyond our expertise. So we ship our mice to Peking University in China for to collaborate to help out with that experiment. Uh, because uh, my lab is not a neuroscience lab, uh, even though we try to learn along the way, and we have learned that for 10 years, but I still feel I'm an outsider. Fortunately, I have a great collaborator to ensure uh, the data quality as well as the interpretation of those data. Uh, 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 in this particular case, uh, is Don Cleveland who gives us a lot of guidance in terms of disease models, and Bill Mobley, who is the neurologist, who uh, interpreted all our immunostaining data and, and other type of data. And Steve Dowdy is the uh, molecular biologist, a chemist, that provide expertise for us to develop an ASO-based uh, approach. Uh, so together, uh, we are very grateful to have an opportunity to work together, and the UCSD is so rich in such uh, expertise as well as a collaborative environment for us to do many things that are beyond our expertise comfortable zone. So this is the feature of UCSD. We hope to continue that tradition. So I'll stop here and answer your questions you may have. Thank you very much for your attention. One of the, yeah. one of the earliest questions that came in is, do you think any of this applies to the peripheral nervous system? Ah, uh, the peripheral nervous systems, uh, uh, if you talk about the motor neuron, uh, we, we we have a very uh, we don't know we, uh, the confidence level is not very high to uh, to hope to generate uh, motor neuron that can grow a meter long. Uh, however, that's not to say we cannot generate inter neuron that might be helpful. Uh, uh, we have not made yet made a major effort in that area yet. In fact, there are uh, uh, local experts in that area who would like to start some collaboration. We will be very happy. Uh, to engage such a collaborative activities in the near futures. Um, one of the questions was, when you do this, converting astrocytes to neurons, are you compromising astrocyte function in the brain? Right. So we mentioned that, uh, I mentioned that at the end of my talk, uh, astrocyte, of course, is very abundant. We know astrocyte uh, have many roles in neuronal functions. And when it comes to disease, it also have a role in protecting the neurons. Okay. On the other hand, astrocyte is also known to have a, a, a role in further damage the neuron, especially when it's over, become over-proliferative uh, and then form a scar that uh, causes further neuronal damage. Uh, at this point, uh, we just don't know uh, what what kind of uh, adverse effect we may uh, create. It. The hope was that we only convert a small fraction of them uh, out of those uh, proliferative adrocytes. Uh, so therefore, the damage is not as severe as supposed to be. Uh, and we are also thinking about the idea because adrocytes can be divided into A1 or A2 type. Uh, A1 be more uh, harmful to the neuron. A2 are protective. So if there is a way to selectively target one type but spare the other, now be a plus. But astrocyte biology is very complex. We are still in the learning uh, curve, uh, and then we are consulting experts in the field uh, to guide us. And the ultimate it is to test whether or not there is any side effect or major side effect by turning the astrocyte into the neurons. Great. Another question is, how unique do you think uh, the P 
PTB1 knockdown effect is? For example, have you ever tried any other RNA-binding proteins like HER, ELAV1, or, or anything else? How uh, yeah, we have not tried systematically. There are RNA-binding proteins, but many RNA-binding proteins, you have to uh, identify RNA-binding protein uh, uh, because if the goal is to change the sulfate, you have to identify RNA binding protein that undergo such a change uh, in expression uh, or localization, whatever property associated with that process. And so far, uh, we have only focused on PDB. Uh, does not mean there's no other things around or in other uh, systems that we can utilize a different type of RNA binding proteins. Uh, but MPDB, because it's silenced in the beginning, uh, you cannot manipulate them too much. Uh, but however, if you, uh, even though it's dramatically reduced in mature neuron, you cannot get rid of them. Otherwise, the newly converted neuron or, or neuron will die uh, in a month uh, or two. Uh, so even in the, uh, if you uh, get rid, that's why if you get rid of PDB or MPDB genetically, uh, you uh, basically obtain no neurons. I'm sure some people will ask that kind of questions. So now we are just basically tilting the balance a little bit in in the cell to encourage them to trans differentiate into the neuronal lineage. But everything else just that the cell to handle in the progressive or stepwise fashion. Okay. Uh, another question. Why do you think the astrocytes convert to dopaminergic neurons in vivo and not other types of neurons? Uh, we do get a mixture of neurons. It's not like owning dopaminergic neurons. We get a, about 35-40% of dopaminergic neurons. But that percentage is dramatically higher than other regions. For example, in uh, cortex or uh, uh, striatum, we only get less than 1% dopaminergic neuron. As I explained in, in brief, uh, that this uh, so-called regional specificity is likely contributed by both cell autonomous program as well as a local environment, just like a tumor environment. The cell autonomous program in principle uh, has been demonstrated recently by last year by Chris Glasslab uh, using macrophage. Uh, even though all those macrophages look the same, but macrophage in different regions uh, have their enhancer uh, uh, pre-wired. So in the other word, the 3D genome are different, not allow uh, utilization of a different enhancer to activate a different sets of gene that are more particularly uh, prone to, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to reprogram those gene expression uh, to encourage those cells to become uh, neurons related to the endogenous neurons. Okay, so this is uh, uh, become all of a sudden become a 3D genome problem. So if you really want to understand the mechanisms, uh, the next there's two questions that kind of get at the same uh, try to get at the same point. One of the questions was asking you whether you could elaborate on the effect of local environment on the conversion, and related to that was a question that. Uh, uh, there are likely some regional pat patterning factors that are secreted by neighboring cells that help direct the astrocytes into dopaminergic neurons. And did you see any reduced efficiency in conversion in the disease model compared to a wild-type model? So questions getting at uh, what do you think is going on in the microenvironment? Right. Uh, 
I do not have too much to say about the migrant environment at this point. Uh, what's interesting here to note is that uh, people have developed all kind of a protocol uh, to convert or strategy uh, to convert uh, uh, non-neuronal cell to neuron. But it, under those in vitro conditions, uh, you need to not only engineer your key reprogrammed genes, but also uh, change the mediums like N3 medium that has uh, uh, drastically reduced the serums. You add uh, 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 NGF or many other uh, trophic factors to encourage them to become a neuron and become a healthy neuron. And of course, in vivo, you cannot do that. You cannot inject the whole thing along with a, a cocktail. Uh, so that entirely depends on what's there in vivo, okay? Uh, so in vivo, my, our guess is that many uh, trophic factors like uh, 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 BGNF and those kind of things, may, uh, which has been implicated, uh, in, play important role for conditioning uh, dopaminergic neuron. But other than that, we don't know. Okay, so that's number one question. The real answer is we don't know. Uh, what's going on. Uh, and then, so the next question is that whether or not you show any difference in uh, 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 in normal mice versus the disease mice. Uh, so far, we did not see any difference. Uh, but that's not to say there's no difference. Uh, especially, uh, our model is acute model, which is why we need to uh, develop a genetic model uh, to allow disease progression in uh, in the lateral, more lateral uh, related pace uh, a lot of time to see if there is a local environment that get damaged, but uh, uh, so that you may mess up the different type of neuron being generated. Uh, that said, we can also find a different way by using key lineage factors to enhance the process. Uh, we try not to use that at this point uh, because the more you you express, the harder to uh, to implement later. Uh, if you do that uh, for clinical trial, for example, people use lineage factor to convert dopamine neuron. They have to use a, a four different factors to do so, uh, or sometimes six. So that's a little bit very a lot. Okay, the next question is a, a double-barreled question. Uh, the first part of the question is that uh, young mice might have a higher regenerative capacity. Have you tried this approach in aged mice? That's the first part of the question. The second part is, have you ever tried converting microglia to neurons? Okay, uh, uh, second question is easy. Uh, we have not. Uh, however, uh, <laughs> Uh, other people try to use PTB to convert uh, oligodendrocyte to neuron. Uh, they are successful and quite efficient. Uh, I don't understand the, the rationale for such experiment. Uh, by reading the paper, which was published in Molecular Therapy, uh, uh, they just want to use this as a way to test their trophic AAV developer in that lab. Okay, so that's the second question. The first question is aged mice. And in fact, during the revision process, we were suggested by the reviewer to do such experiment. And uh, we thought uh, it's never going to work because actually very few people have tried those kind of things. Most people just standardly use this uh, standard uh, model is a one or two year old mice uh, in this case. Okay, so, but the reviewer say if this thing is going to be uh, applicable to human, eventually you have to deal with these aging issues. Uh, 
So we therefore did such experiment on one year old mice. So started with one year, you treat with uh, six hydroxy dopamine, and two weeks later, uh, you wait until the stable phenotype, and then you go through the reprogramming for uh, two months or three months, uh, and then recording. So by the end, it's almost like the end of the uh, lifespan of the mouse. So it's one and a half or longer years old. Okay, so we did that. So uh, initially, we anticipating a total failure, and remarkably, uh, one of the assay works just great, uh, which is the sitting the number attached assay uh, showed the fully reprogramming, uh, and we're amazed by seeing that results because in our hand the reprogramming efficiency reduced uh, to about ten twenty percent on aged mice, but there is a strange phenomena here that uh, even though we have a very limited reprogramming generated a reduced number uh, in substantial ligra. But somehow the density of Th positive density fiber get a little bit higher uh, than just like a, a correspondence in, increase uh, of cell body. Uh, and then not further translated a robust uh, a dopamine release, uh, about 80%. So it looks like uh, something going on endogenously turned into the whole system better with the newly generated neurons. We still don't know, do not understand the mechanism yet. Uh, nonetheless, people are saying that the new neuron can help repair the damaged ones in other uh, type of transdifferentiation studies. Uh, and then the other assay, which is a rotation assay, did not work. We could not get a statistical significant experiment. Some mice work, other mice uh, messed up. And we realized that this is related to this unstable phenotype in aged mice. Actually, the aged mice spin around much faster for some reason. Uh, not make it difficult to record. So we initially report back to the reviewer saying uh, this experiment are inconclusive. So uh, we would like to propose to leave it out and let us do more studies uh, to uh, to understand. Uh, uh, but the reviewer have a, a, a opposite view. They said this is exactly what we predicted. This is a, such an encouraging results. Uh, not only you have to show it, you show that in the main figure. So that's become a part of the main figure, uh, even though all those data get stuck in tiny little font, the smallest possible, in order to fit the page limit. Okay, so that's in the paper, not data. But we need to do more on that. Okay, the, the next question is also a two-part question. Uh, one was... Did you ever try uh, the reverse experiment where you did the trans differentiation first and then do the lesion? And uh, would you predict that there'd be any difference there? And then that, the second part of that question is, um, are the trans differentiated astrocytes uh, replenished? In other words, when you convert the astrocytes to neurons, what happens to the pool of astrocytes? Do they get re do they get replenished? And when does the trans differentiation stop? Okay, uh, the first question is uh, uh, whether or not we have done the reverse experiment. I don't think we have done that. Uh, in the other order, reprogramming uh, followed by addition. Uh, we have not done that. What's interesting here? This is related to. A related question uh, is interesting, is that uh, what a lot of you can generate a neuron and the neuron has uh, some track to follow to target into the right region, at least a part of them. 
Okay, so we initially did in the wild mice, uh, they do. Uh, and then later on, we did the niche mice with thought some of those tracks may get lost. Eventually, if you have too many things damaged, it may, may lost such a track. But it turns out that's not the case. Not even though you wipe out 95% or 90, 95% of dopaminergic neuron, uh, the new neuron can still find a way back in a similar way. We could not see any difference. So the short answer to the question is that no, we have not done uh, the converse way uh, that uh, uh, wipe out uh, the neuron uh, after reprogramming. Uh, and then the second question is uh, uh, is related to, uh, could you remind me again? <laughs> yeah, what happens to the pool, what happens to the astrocyte pool, oh, right, right, right. So, and so. Uh, when does transdifferentiation stop? Right. So there's a trans differentiation. You know, we are using the AAV to do the trans differentiation, uh, and then the AAV do uh, in the initial infection, whatever cell you get into, uh, a fraction of them become a neuron, uh, and after that, uh, uh, either become a neuron or, or or the cell remain as an astrocyte. So in the other word, in our hand, uh, uh, when you have a lesion, uh, the astrocyte become. Uh, Amplified, but without addition, the exercise do not. But there are abundant endogenous exercise. So, however, after reprogramming, we do not see any further depletion or amplification. Looks like they remain the same. Uh, they don't change anymore. So, in the other word, it's not like uh, you make a new neurons uh, that uh, the exercise become coordinated, increased in order to protect the new neuron. Probably there are a sufficient amount of exercise there in the first place that you don't need to generate more of those. And most of the time, exercise uh, become a proliferative in response to neuronal damage or in response to some stimuli like LPS. In fact, that's the property we like to explore uh, to, to encourage their reprogramming. But after that, we don't see much of the uh, proliferation of exercise or depletion of exercise. Another question is, can you comment on any of the other genes that uh, that might change during astrocyte conversion, such as SOX2, neurogenin, neuroD? Do you have any knowledge about those? Yeah, we did. In fact, in the paper, we did uh, uh, extensive uh, RNA-6 studies. Uh, initially, they look like astrocyte, but a different region of astrocyte show different. But even the same batch, uh, different batch of astrocyte show uh, difference. So there was an enormous of uh, heterogeneity among astrocyte, we noticed. What's interesting here is that once you convert them into a neuron, those gene expression is almost like a replicate of the same sample. There's no difference anymore. Uh, they all look like the same type of neurons, a um, mixture of neurons, okay? So they're, they're almost identical. In our early experiment, uh, of course, in those uh, induced genes or repressed genes, many uh, astrocyte-specific genes get reduced or diminished, or many neuronal genes get induced. Uh, however, we never see any induction of uh, 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 proteopotency genes like SOX2 or SOX9 or, or other things. Uh, this is because our cells, unlike any other transdifferentiation systems, that there are a few uh, cell dividing before differentiation. In our case, uh, we can convert them into neurons without any cell division or only uh, if they are not arrested at a G1 cycle, they may go one round. That's it. So in the other word, there's no cell division. There's, uh, so the, the cell never go back to 
do not go back to a polypotent state before differentiation, uh, uh, trans, uh, differentiation into neurons. So that means there's nothing, uh, no sort of polypotent genes being induced. Not said, once you get rid of PDB, uh, essentially every single factors uh, being examined and tested for sulfate change to convert a fibroblast to neuron has been induced. Uh, and the only distinctions we have uh, is there's a brain tube. That's the only exception. And that's the only exception happening in uh, human cells, not in mouse. Mouse, the whole slew of factors are induced laterally. And it turns out the master majority of them are targeted for rest. So in the other words, the whole circuitry has to be related. Otherwise, you cannot just change the neuron with a completely different gene, uh, distinct gene signatures. Okay, well, I think we're down to our last two questions. One question is, uh, what, what do you know about what normally happens to PTB in disease in general, or neurologic disease in general? Do you have any knowledge? Uh, Neurological disease, the only thing I know is that the PDB get uh, enormously increased in GBM. (laughs) And actually, if you deplete the PDB using AAV or other things, you can potentially stop GBM from growth. And and, and uh, in neurological disease, uh, because this is a lot uh, expressing neurons, obviously it does not. Uh, and then in AD or many other diseases, you normally see when you do a bulk uh, uh, studies, uh, PDB get induced. This is most likely related to uh, the proliferation of astrocyte in those diseases brain. Okay, many new, uh, in, most likely due to the astrocyte, but we don't know yet. Uh, in the limited uh, published studies based on uh, astrocyte activation. Great. And I guess the last one is more of a more of a comment, and uh, the 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 comment was that it appeared that that the axons, your axons, new axons, grew uh, uh, amazingly fast. Do you have any comment on the speed with which the new axons grew? No, not a lot. Amazingly fast. This take us three months. And uh, uh, we calculated the, uh, the growth rate is about a four uh, millimeter per day. Uh, and that, that's what it takes. And it turns out that uh, if you measure the growth, cone, uh, growth rate of axons in test tube, in, in petri dish, it's the same rate, uh, regardless of the human or mouse cells. So indicating that uh, the growth rate is intrinsically determined, it's not influenced by outside conditions. Uh, and then that translated into a, a challenge in a way that uh, if we need to see this procedure to work, uh, we we have to, uh, uh, I mean, in the monkey or human brain, the, the exon has to grow longer. Uh, and then that's the challenge. So the question is, uh, can we do that or not? By estimate in humans, you need probably a half a year to do that or even longer. All right, I think we've, addressed all of the questions. Uh, I'd like to thank you for giving us a great talk and for everybody for attending uh, Southern California Stem Cell Consortium under uh, unusual circumstances, to say the least. We also thank the UCSD Alzheimer's Disease Research Center Neurodegeneration Seminar Series for joining us in this. And I guess uh, we'll draw to a close. Have a very safe, 
and a productive day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.